combat divas. Stomp your left, right, left. Combat divas. Hey. What's up, guys? It's your girl, TG, and you will hear Tanisha B's voice shortly. Um, today, we got to interview an amazing woman. Her name is Natalie Carpenter. She is the first African-American woman to receive the Managing Broker of the Year Award. That is an amazing honor uh, in the city of Chicago, and she received the award from the uh, Chicago Association of Realtors. An amazing feat. And I'm glad that we were able to talk to her today. One of the things that's unique about our podcast is we not only get to talk to veterans, but a lot of times we get to talk to veterans in our field, I mean, in their field, who can talk to us a little bit about what they went through and compare and contrast what they are, have gone through and seen, what, what we've gone through and seen. Uh, it has been an excellent ride, and we enjoyed uh, listening to her and interviewing her this past week. This episode is brought to you by BigToastSeasonings.com. Be sure to check them out. Their seasonings is the better than Laura's. Now, I used to say the best thing since Laura's, but they're actually even better than Laura's. Check them out. Use our promo code COMBATDIVA10, C-O-M-B-A-T-D-I-V-A-1-0 at the checkout for 10% off. An amazing, an amazing company. Please, please check them out. Uh, also brought to you by my daughter's tea house. The website is www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash M E D A R D A S tea house, an amazing tea brand. Listen, I drink coffee and I love, uh, my Red Bull. I know it's bad for me, but I, I love some caffeine. They, she has a tea, honey. It's called Yerba's. Uh, I think it's Yerbos tea, an amazing, an amazing tea. I replaced my Red Bull and I'm almost about to place my replace uh, Adderall. Okay. I love, love, love this tea. Gives me focus, gives me the energy I need to get through my day. An amazing brand. Okay. So tell them we sent you and use promo code Combat Diva. Okay. Our next sponsor is Holdness Oasis. And you know how we feel about Holdness Oasis, honey. We wear their leisure gear all the time. So check them out, Battles. Use our promo code at the checkout there, too. It's Combat Divas, okay, all caps. An amazing, an amazing brand. And now that we got the housekeeping out the way, ladies and gentlemen, the next voices you will hear is will be us three, me, Tanisha B., and Miss Natalie Carpenter. Y'all enjoy. Congratulations on all your success, Mr. Carpenter. We read your bio, and I mean, I'm... Like, I feel like I'm a part of Black history right now. It's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. So 30 yeah. years as a managing broker, how, how has that been? Has it been like an up and down stress? Because you've seen it all. You went through the crash of the, the real estate market and everything. Yeah, actually, when I got in the business, um, we were in a recession. And um, there was a lot going on at that time. It was problems with oil and gas prices were skyrocketing and it affected home ownership at that time. But, you know, you learn to work through it. Everybody has to have a roof over their head. So it's, you know, and I, I look at um, realtors as soldiers. We're foot soldiers down here on the ground, 
making sure that people have those roofs over their heads so that they can, you know, they can sleep at night and be comfortable. Definitely much appreciated. I know that's right. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you. So have you worked with a lot of veterans in the community? Actually, I have. Um, well, you know, being in the business as long as I have, I've worked with a whole bunch of different veterans, especially when I first got in the business, that was almost um, where I got most of my business was from FHA buyers and VA buyers. Really? I've sold um, properties that had been repossessed by the Veterans Administration to, um, you know, other people. And then I've also sold a lot of veterans, right? You know, some things have changed over the years and, but it's still a really good idea for a veteran to purchase property. Um, there's still, I mean, there's so many different benefits for that. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think we have a lot of questions even concerning that, but we'll get to it. First, we want to kind of talk about your recent achievement. And I don't want to misquote the award because uh, from what I understand is you're the first African-American woman to ever receive this award for the Chicago Association of Realtors. Correct. Wow. Now tell us a little bit about the award. Like how does that come about? Okay. So in our uh, general marketplace, there are about 2,688 <laughs> companies to be exact <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or, or managing brokers in the group. And um, I was picked <laughs> so, to be the, the um, managing broker of the year and in the category of large offices. Currently, I have 154 people in my office. So wow. there's, there's one uh, category for 50 and fewer. And then there's the 51 plus, and I won for the 51 plus. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. One of many to say congratulations. Thank like, you. You have yeah. to be feeling like, like on the top of the world with that one because out of so many, you like me? Yeah. Me? <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting is that I didn't even know I was being nominated. So to be. <laughs> To be nominated, first of all, that's an honor in and of itself. But to actually win, that was like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, this, this is my time. This, you know, yeah. this is like all the hard work and like grinding and late nights, early mornings. It was it all paid off in this moment of recognition. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was really cool because what happens is someone nominates you, and then there's a nomination a nominating committee or a, or a review committee uh, from the association that actually reaches out and they want letters of recommendation for the person okay. and, uh, or for the people that they're looking at, you know, the, the ones, I guess, I don't know how many it comes down to, but um, they get the letters of recommendation and then they have to vote as a group. You know, being someone has been in the business for as many years as I have, even though I'm not, you know, I've, I've never been the president of the board or, you know, anything like that. Mm -hmm. People just know me. Um, I, I represent the largest uh, group of African-American realtors in the city wow. of Chicago. I don't think there's any other office that has more African-American realtors Really? Then, then your stuff. office and where yes. your office is in High Park or we're in High Park. Third, yeah, High, thirteen fourteen East Forty Seventh Street. 
Okay, and you and you currently manage the the majority of the African American uh, real estate brokers. Well, in, in your I mean, there there are other groups. You know, there are smaller offices where there they may be predominantly African American, but I have the largest group right here under this roof. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I I mean, to manage. I mean, when we manage soldiers, they're all over the place. I can't imagine managing 150 people plus like excelling in the area and you're in sales, which is a, one of the hardest jobs people would say that's out there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say it's easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's rewarding. So when something's rewarding, you know, you put all of your effort into it because you, you know, you want to see the fruits of your labor. But, <laughs> that's true. You know, it's, it's easy though for me to, to do that because I work with some incredible, incredibly strong, smart, intelligent, um, compassionate people that want to do a good job. And they do a good job. They're like, they're like sponges when they come in the door, you know, they, <laughs> they soak up all the information they can, and then they go out and they do good in the community. And that's, you know, I always say, do a great job and the money will follow. Okay. Don't, you don't go into down. it thinking I, 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 that you want to make all the money, you know, just do a great job. Cause you know, when you do a good job, pe other people are going to tell other people about you. And so that's going to bring in the money. That's, that's that revenue flow. I like that. Now I, I understand you have a lot of these little sayings, these little nuggets, like something about getting a, getting a house before you get the car or get acronyms and all of that. Well, yeah. Well, actually <laughs> the house, then the car is not, necessarily my words it's actually <laughs> okay. the national association of real estate brokers which if you know anything about the history of real estate prior to 1964 african americans couldn't join the association of realtors so they couldn't have that r called the the realtor r so really? yeah so in 1940 something i want to say 41 or 47 a group of real estate professionals got together and and formed the National Association of Real Estate Brokers. And they're referred to as realtists. So they were the, the black group, the African-American group. And I mean, they wow. sold real estate, but you know, back then there was a lot of, a lot of things going on with discrimination and yeah. housing and just so much happening before the uh, Civil Rights Act. So, you know, they had to keep things pretty separate. I actually met and hosted an event with the first African-American to become a realtor in the United States. And he's still living today. His name wow. is Ben Slayton. He's about 78, 79 years old right now. Wow. Um, awesome gentleman. Uh, very friendly. He's been a mil he, he's, he's had $4 million businesses that he sold, million-dollar-plus businesses, multi-million, I should say. Wow. And now he has a mortgage company that is like a FUBU mortgage company for us. <laughs> it's, it's, um, you know, and he's, he's got several locations. I think he's got seven locations across the country. So really um, pretty dynamic and powerful individual, but to know that he was the first one and, you know, I had an opportunity to meet him and he was so nice. I invited him to my office and he came. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so I made an event out of it. So we had over 100 people come in and meet Ben Slayton. So. Wow. That iconic is... in the real to world. I'm sorry? That he's considered iconic in the real to world. Absolutely, he is. Yes. Wow. That's, I didn't even know any of this. I mean, I'm. Yeah, my I'm, eyes are opening to this. I mean, you know, you hear, you read about redlining and stuff like that concerning real estate and uh, discrimination, but we don't get these backstories of we didn't even know you couldn't even black people couldn't even really sell houses back. Well, they couldn't have the title realtor. They couldn't have the title realtor. They right. sold as realtors, mm. and then there, yeah, there's there's a whole big history surrounding that whole thing because at one point, black people couldn't get mortgages traditional mortgages that you see today right they had to buy from people that sold them sold them properties on contract so they never got deeds to the property until they actually paid it off wow so you know it is what it is yeah, they, they, things they have a changed lot. you're you're they, an example of that they've, that they've changed somewhat i mean it's we still have room to grow believe me oh yeah <laughs> but yeah there's there's been some change in the world and there's some more change to come <laughs> absolutely now I think, real, it, oh, go ahead i'm sorry thanks. i'm sorry no I, I wanted to know like i'm not sure if you answered it or if I, i'm like so sometimes i get ooh, all over with the question but um what like what motivated you to start like you know, most people be like, okay, when I get, I want to be a doctor, I want to be this, I want to be that. Like, what made you want to be the person to be like, you know what, I want to sell you a home, someplace where you can grow and build a family and build a life. What made you go into being a realtor? Full transparency. Full. Not that. <laughs> Full transparency was I needed to buy some furniture. <laughs> I had bought a house and couldn't figure out how to get uh, make enough money to buy some furniture. And so um, the opportunity was presented to me to get a real estate license. And I thought, okay, yeah, I can do that. And I looked, I had sold a couple of homes. So I looked at what I was paying my realtor. And back then I was naive. I didn't realize how many people got a piece of that. I just looked at that number and thought, well, I could do this, so and I could surely get my furniture that way. So I took the course and passed the test and started working real estate part time. But then um, my, I loved it. I got into it and I thought, oh, this is really cool. And I started really making money in it, you know, because I was doing a good job. So I could, you know, then the money started flowing. And I looked up about six months into it and realized that I had made, I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to just put all my energy and efforts into real estate. And then, you know, I really understood that it was an awesome responsibility to do that, to create homeowners, homeowners out of, you know, the, the public and people that I knew, and to also help people to build generational wealth, because yes. that's very important, you know, for a long time, we weren't playing the money game at all. We didn't even know, we weren't even invited to the party where you learned about the money game. <laughs> you just like left out. Wow. But then when I realized, you know, before I sold real estate, I sold um, stocks and mutual funds for a little bit. 
too boring for me. So, <laughs> Uh, but I realized, okay, that was part of the money game. But real estate is too. And a lot of people don't realize that real estate, I mean, a property is a commodity. And just like, you know, stocks, bonds, and, you know, other things that um, you trade, you trade real estate. And if you were to look at real estate as a commodity and sort of focus, you know, your efforts on building wealth through owning real estate and selling real estate or holding it and you could actually amass a pretty good fortune really oh absolutely we, we're gonna have to go uh partner up battle and get us some real estate hey look i'm, I'm with it. dude i'm like i was watching <laughs> but i mean i get caught up in watching those crazy reality shows what's that love and listings and they selling me big huge you know homes these luxurious homes in like los angeles and like all over the place like atlanta so I'm like, is that really yeah. a thing? Like, how do you get a hold to, like, does yeah. I get all tongue-tied? Like, do you get a list of, like, homes that's, like, um, more affordable than you get the ones, like, the big million-dollar homes? Like, how does that even go? Well, we have a multiple listing service, and it lists all the properties that are on the market for sale. And you can search by the price that you want. You had mentioned, you asked the question about the, house then the car situation yes ma'am um when i'm speaking to young people i typically tell them you need to buy the house before you buy the car because you should not drive a land rover if you have a landlord the reason, <laughs> the reason being and this is something a lot of us you know we don't think about no matter where you live you are buying that place but are you buying it for you or for somebody else? Because if you rent somewhere, you're paying something every month, even if yeah. it's $1,000 a month. If you stay in that place for 10 years, I mean, do the math. You, yeah. you, you pay quite a bit of money. That's $120,000. You can own your own spot for that. And I always wow. try to tell people starting out, especially if you're just starting out in the investment phase and you want to own property. Like I, I call it the build a spouse campaign. <laughs> because I mean, think about it. Hear me out for a minute. You buy a two flat uh -huh. and in two years you take the equity plus money that you save from, you know, collecting rent from the tenant and you then buy a three flat. You keep your two flats, so now you got rent coming in on the two flat, mm -hmm. and you're living in one of the units. So then you live in one of the units in the three flat, now you've got the two units paying all the expenses for the building, plus giving you a little extra money on the side. You've got the two units at the first property you bought paying for it and giving you some extra money on the side. So yeah. then after another two years, you go and you buy a four unit. You take all the money from the equity that you made in those and plus all the extra money. So now you are totally living rent free. You have mm. been for the last two years. And so now you're staying in this property. And if you really look at it, if you do it right, you buy correctly, you can collect about 60000 60 to $80,000 minimally a year. So that's like having a spouse, bringing in sixty to eighty thousand. Yeah, it's so, residual too. Yeah, so you can 
you know, so that, that money's coming in and you get to live a lifestyle that you wouldn't live if it was just you, you know, living in an apartment or buying a house. A lot of, a lot of young people make the mistake of buying a house first. And I mean, if, if it's not in you to be a landlord, then certainly do that. Buy something, right. buy a condo, buy something, something that at some point you can either rent out and have income coming in, mm-hmm. or you could sell, take the equity and get something else. Because if you do it like that, by the time you buy the four unit, your next step is a house. So mm-hmm. then you buy the house and your properties are paying for your house. You're living nice. mortgage-free in the house, and all of your buildings are being taken care of by the tenants. They're being all that money's being paid, and you're still making money even with that. That's so then phenomenal. you can spend your money on other things, like going on great trips, <laughs> or you know, buying you know things that you like. That's when you go and buy the car that that Tesla or you know, that expensive car that makes you feel good, but not in the beginning. Because what we find is a lot of times people, I mean, they get, they, first thing they do, they get, they graduate from college, they go get a job, and then with their first paycheck, they're moving out of the house, and then the next paycheck, they're buying a, a, a property, or not a property, but a car that's not affordable. And then they can't buy a house they can't buy a building because they really can't afford all the stuff that they're doing and they can't pay it so they've got late payments and they can't get a mortgage and it, <laughs> it just becomes a vicious cycle my goodness i i a i just learned a lot and you just gave me an idea too so i appreciate that <laughs> sure. but b i mean you're i i absolutely agree with you that a lot of especially in the African-American community, we come late to the table when it comes to especially building generational wealth, primarily because, you know, our our parents didn't know, you know, they can't teach us what they didn't know. So we learn as we go too, and then we can impart. So um, I think that's phenomenal that you are able to give families a leg up and say, well, maybe, maybe wait a minute on this house. Maybe look at this building if you got it in you and we can move on from there. Now, do you walk people through the whole process? Like, they, okay, uh, Ms. Carbon, I'm ready to buy my next building. And they'd be like, okay, let, let's roll. Yes, there are people that I've actually walked through that. But what I do, you know, you've heard the old saying, um, that's why I have all these agents and brokers that work in here because this is what we teach them so that they can then walk people through this so that we can do it in mass. We, we have a goal, and that's to put 2 million homeowners, new homeowners, in homes or buildings within the next five years. So that's a lofty goal, but it's doable because you have a lot of people that make enough money to do that. You know, um, to your point, I always say each one teach one. And when you know better, you do better. Absolutely. It's just that if once you, once you have the information, you don't just get it and file it back in the the storage unit in the back of your brain. Use it. Bring it back <laughs> out. See, explore. It's not to work for you because you know every every person that's ever been a millionaire started with one good idea and they just acted <laughs> upon it. Just, you know, reason why most of us don't have we're not millionaires is because we have great ideas, but we just don't. We still getting ready to get ready to get ready to get ready. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
before you know it, you didn't let time then pass you by, and, and now Absolutely. those may not be as good as they were or as they would have been had you used them five, six, seven years ago. Absolutely. Exactly. Wow. But, is... but you know what? It's still never too late. You can. It's never too late. I mean, you you might come tardy to the party, but you can still enjoy, you know, what's there. There's still, you just have to look at it a little differently. Your, your, what else, your plan or your strategy needs to be a little different, maybe a little more aggressive, but you still, you could catch up very easily. Very easily. <laughs> that sounds, oh, sorry, go ahead, Um, I was going to say, what were like one of your major setbacks and um, how did you overcome it? As a, an agent or as a managing broker? I mean, all encompassing. Okay. Um, I won't. I won't necessarily call it a setback, but just there are. You know, I came along at a time when opportunities weren't as prevalent as they are now. Um, so, I guess if I had to say a setback, I, I, there was. When I first became a managing broker, let me put it that way, I was put into a position to recruit people to the company, new agents to the company, and and uh, do some things. And the environment that I was in was, um, it wasn't really a multicultural environment. It was a, you know, predominantly Caucasian environment, which, okay. you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and had I known about us, we as a people, and I, you know, I don't like to talk about us too much because, I mean, I, I think we're beautiful people and together, if we work together, we can really do some wonderful things. But the one thing that I, um, it, I can't really call, well, I guess it was somewhat of a setback, but I had to reset and adjust when I realized that some people just don't want to work with you if you're black. And that was, that was a harsh reality for me. And I'm not talking about other races. I'm mm. talking about us. Mm. That, that stung. And it even as, as recent as last week, someone shared that with me because mm. I was speaking with a lady who, you know, she's a, a fairly good producer and she works for another company and I was, you know, she had expressed interest that she was looking around. So, you know, I was talking to her, selling her on everything that our company had to offer. And she was excited and she said, oh, wow, I didn't realize you had all that. And I didn't, you know, that's really good. And I said, oh, well, you know, you're welcome to come to our office and, um, you know, check it out. And, you know, I would, I certainly introduce you to all of these things and I'm sure it can help your business and everything. And then she says, yeah, well, uh, it's all good and everything, but I really think that I'm best where I am. And I said, really, how's that working out for you? Cause I'm looking at her numbers and I'm thinking, like, not really. no, you're not. <laughs> you know, every, you know it was incredible to me. It was like an opener. I said, and, then, and she was, you know, I have to give her credit for being honest and candid. And she said, I've always been of the opinion that, you know, if you're going to have access to lots of opportunity and 
tools and all this stuff, you need to be in an environment that's multicultural and not predominantly black. And that was like a slap in my oh. face. However, you know, I, you know, I had to share with her that, you know, our company is very big on diversity and inclusion. And there is not anything that any other manager or any other manager broker or office would have that mine doesn't. Right. And there's certainly not any other manager, I don't think in the city of Chicago, possibly the world, that's going to have as much passion about growing your business, you know, the individual people person's business because there's there's some statistics out there that are you know just not that great hmm. right now 83 percent of the realtor population across the nation is is um white only seven percent are african-american that wow. to me that's that's huge yeah i mean that needs to change absolutely you know that needs to change and so I have a lot of interest in making sure that the agents and brokers that work in, in my office do well, you know, that they have access to the right tools. They have access to the right education and training so that they can go out there and do what they need to do. And we have a lot of work to do in the African community to turn people into homeowners because we are actually worse off in 2020 than we were in 1968 as it relates to home ownership. 1968, wow. yeah, I think we were at 40, 46% of the population were homeowners. And when we started this year, we were so, I think we were around 44%. Oh, that's, wow. that's maddening. Wow. When you consider so, you know, how, everything has changed since 1968. Okay. You know, we have better jobs, we have better incomes. There, there are actually 1.7 million young African-Americans under the age of 30 that make $100,000 or more that don't own property. Why? Wow. Why? I did not know that. They're not either open to being educated on the importance of home ownership and generational wealth. A lot of them are not even realizing that they're paying you know five thousand like because those one making like hundred thousand dollars a year they're paying like four thousand and five thousand dollars in rent just and they just paying for a view or they paying for an area mm -hmm. realizing that they're supplementing somebody else's lavish lifestyle who own multiple multiple properties and they're hoarding their own money they just sending it out and they're not growing it mm -hmm. so i think exactly need more um open themselves up more to seminars and more educational things to bring them in to hey this is important just us as a people is important to to have something out here to leave behind a legacy you know absolutely absolutely leave a legacy and build a lifestyle because you know we we gotta get out of the habit of you know going on vacation to grandma's house and you know and <laughs> you know you know what i mean and, and, um, and going down beans, south right beans, <laughs> beans on monday wednesday and friday you know, <laughs> i don't know you know i think because there's more life out here that other people right. that are actually living yeah. and it's not you know 
there's a whole lot of issues that we seem to have around doing better and experiencing more and exploring life on a different level. But we really need to do that because this world is here for all of us to enjoy, not just so certain people, but we have to figure out how to get out there and enjoy it. We need to be exposed to different things, you know, so that we can grow within ourselves. You know, that's the only thing, growing our lifestyle is gonna grow our culture. And then growing our culture is going to, you know, it, it just encompasses everything in our lives. We, we just have to focus on that. I mean, I when I think about growing up as a child, our, you know, people, I talk to certain people, you know, other ethnicities, some, some of our, uh, some African-Americans do, but then they start talking about their childhood trips, their family vacations and stuff. Well, most of them that are African-American, they always went to grandma's or Aunt Sue's or, you know, wherever. And we didn't have one when I was growing up. We didn't go anywhere, never, wow. ever as a family. Mm. You know, that, yeah, no, we just didn't do that. <laughs> that didn't exist. Um, yeah, I grew up with a single parent and that, and that really didn't, it didn't exist. We didn't have, uh, like my, my mom, her parents had passed away long before, you know, I got here. So we didn't have a grandma's house to go to mm. and vacation in another state. Like I had a grandma, but... It's like a 30 minute ride out south. That wasn't like, you know, right. so we didn't have many places to go. I had a grandma out of town, but I wasn't allowed to go there until I was able to go by myself. I rode the train when I was 12 years old and went because I was determined I was getting out of Chicago. I was going to see the world, right? So I saw West Memphis, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> That was your travel. <laughs> that was my travel. But my son had a much different experience growing up. Mm. You know, he he was going places to ski and doing, you know, going to things that were, you know, you know, just very remarkable things, going right. to Disney and you know, all of this mm -hmm. stuff. I did not have that childhood at all. <laughs> but I was happy to be able to give that childhood to him. And I'm hoping that if I ever if he ever becomes a dad, that he'll, you know, further that in, you know, that whole experience thing. I think, you know, because life, you know, somebody told me this the other day, that life is a series of moments. Mm. And I took it a little step further. And I said, and those moments need to turn into memories. All right. And because memories are what are going to sustain you as you start to, to age that's right. I know very well now, especially since I'm like old. <laughs> but um, yeah, memories are really important in life. Yeah, they really are. Combat divas, stomp your left, right, left. Combat divas.